This message was recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. I'm Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here, if you're a guest this morning. And I don't preach very often, but I'm very happy to be preaching this morning because it's Palm Sunday. And it is a Sunday of celebration. We, I, once lived as Christ's enemy, but now, because the Lord rode into Jerusalem to complete his atoning work on the cross, I've got a seat at his table. And I know that many of you um, feel that same joy. And so we're excited to look together this morning at the 118th Psalm. So if you have a copy of the scripture, I'd invite you to turn to Psalm 118. This psalm contains the verses that the people sung when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey on that first Palm Sunday. It was for the ancient people of Israel a holiday song, something like a Christmas carol for, for us. They would, they would sing this song at the holidays, they sang it at their three high feast days, including the Passover feast, which was being celebrated in Jerusalem during that week, which we call Passion Week or Holy Week, that week between the Sunday that Jeff read about from John 12 and our Lord's resurrection on Easter Sunday. The people in Jerusalem would have been singing this song. Bible scholars tell us even the disciples, if you read about the Thursday night, the night in which Jesus was betrayed, the night before his crucifixion, it says that before they went out into the Garden of Gethsemane, they sang a hymn. And New Testament scholars would tell us probably the hymn that they sang came from some of these words that are in Psalm 118. The psalm may have been written by King David when he brought the Ark of the Covenant up into Jerusalem shortly after he began his reign in Jerusalem. Or it may have been written much later when the people of Israel were rebuilding the temple after it had been destroyed. We don't know for sure, but one thing we do know is that it is a psalm of thanksgiving and joy in light of the Lord's love. And in the centuries leading up to Christ's first coming, it was sung with great anticipation for the coming Savior, the Messiah. So I would invite you to follow along in your Bibles. I'm going to begin in verse 19 and read down through the end of Psalm 118. This is the Word of God. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. May God add his blessing to this reading of his word and also our study of it together. It's easy to rejoice and to celebrate love. We just thought a little bit about how wonderful marriage is. And we know that when you go to a wedding and you see a man and a woman get married, you are watching a celebration of love. And it is a joy. In our own family, we have had in the past year... Two of our sons get married and they were joyful occasions. I was especially joyful that these dear women were willing to take these sons off my hands for me. And I'm still very happy about it. And we have now a third wedding coming up just next uh, month, beautifully planned right after our marriage series that we're going to be doing here. And it is just such a blessing to see the happiness and joy in these couples coming together. I, I remember my own wedding being a joy. And in fact, though I wouldn't recommend it, you, you could watch my wedding because my wife's Uncle Ron made a, a recording of our wedding with his VHS video camcorder, which, you know, the great big ones that you could put on your shoulder so you looked like you were a part of a TV news crew or something like that. And so Ron had his camcorder, and he was making a video of our wedding, which we learned as, as young parents that the kids were showing this thing to babysitters when they came over, which was very horrifying to us, you know. And I don't know how, how that's maybe why babysitters didn't often come back to our house. I'm, I'm not sure. But in the video, you can see me and my dear wife, uh, Jennifer, and she looks pretty much exactly the same. Um, I look much, much older. But we're there. We're in the video. We're clasping one another's hands. The pastor is talking on and on about something. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it was something very edifying and good. But I wasn't paying any attention because I was just looking into her eyes. And you can see in the video the two of us doing this. And we have on our faces these huge smiles. We, we are just ridiculously happy looking at one another. And by the way, I still feel this way when I look at my wife every morning. It is such a joy to be loved. Now, the ancient singers of this psalm that we read, they would have known that they were loved as well. In fact, they were loved by the Lord. In verse 29, it says... Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And as recipients of the steadfast love of the Lord, these ancient people rejoiced before their God. And the people in the city of Jerusalem who were celebrating as Jesus entered the city on that Sunday before his crucifixion, 
were rejoicing in anticipation of their salvation. Because while God has shown his steadfast love to us in many, many, many ways, he has shown his love to us most profoundly in the sending of Christ the Savior. And so we, joining with these ancient people, rejoice this morning in the steadfast love of the Lord. Verse 24, which is right in the center of the passage that we read, says, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day. Well, what day is it? We know it's Palm Sunday. And we know that this little word day, it it can refer to a, a very specific day a a 24-hour day, and sometimes it does as you read through the Old Testament. But it can also have this this connotation of a period of of time. We we speak this way even in English. We live in the day of the internet. Or we live in the day of the hurry-up offense. We we speak this way. We're talking about a a time that we are living in. And I think for us, because we need to understand this is a prophetic psalm written written hundreds of years before Christ. And it was sung for all of those hundreds of years. And then it was sung on that first Palm Sunday. And then it's been sung by Christian people since then. And there is this wonderful day in which God is saving his people. What day then is it? This is the day of salvation. So that's our first point this morning. Our main point would be that we should rejoice in the steadfast love of the Lord because, first point, this is the day of salvation. Now, the psalmist, he, he begins in verse 19 of Psalm 118. He says, Open to me the gates of righteousness. These may be figurative gates. You know, like the gate to heaven or the gate to the place where God is, where you can go in and and be in the presence of God. Or perhaps they were literal gates when this psalm was written. The gates to the temple complex or the gates to the, the temple. But this psalmist, he wants to worship his Lord. So he says, open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. Verse 20, this is the gate of righteousness. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. Now... At this point, we encounter for the first time in this joyful song of thanksgiving a bit of a problem. And the problem is because the Word of God says in many places, including right here in this worship hymn, that the righteous shall enter through the gate of the Lord... And yet the word of God also says that apart from the Lord, every man, woman, and child who's ever lived is unrighteous. So if we want to enter the gates of righteousness, then we need to be made righteous. 
This, this reality is all over the Psalms, and there's a lot of different places we could turn to in the Psalms to find it, but we can actually discover a little collection of verses from the Psalms in the book of Romans. Paul puts them together for us. It's in Romans chapter 3, beginning with verse 10. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So the scriptures tell us we are unrighteous. We, we live in rebellion against God. We're, we inherit sin from our, our first parents, Adam and Eve, and then we pile up a mountain of our own sin. We are unrighteous. Paul the Apostle sums it up for us in the 23rd verse of Romans 3. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so if we're standing before God's gates... And we dare to say, open the gates. We're going to need some help if we are going to enter in. But thanks be to God. He does provide help for us. God provides help for us in the Savior. He, he gives righteousness according to his steadfast love. He gave it to the original author of this psalm. Who, who prays in verse 21, I thank you. That you have answered me and have become my salvation. The Lord is his salvation. He, he has been saved by the Lord. He was aware that God provided a means of salvation. They sang about it at the end of verse 27. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. The, the Old Testament system of religious worship that we've been marching through in our everyday Bible reading is full of all of these opportunities for people to have their sins forgiven and to be made righteous in the, in the sight of God. But all of it was pointing towards a greater day, a greater moment, the moment that we are celebrating during this week, during this Passion Week, and that is the moment that Jesus Christ came into the world to be the ultimate festal, festal sacrifice for sins. That's why the people take up the song of verse 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's Jesus Christ who comes in the name of the Lord. It's Jesus Christ who comes to make us righteous. Now, the ancient people would not have seen all this so clearly as we see it. In fact, Jeff read for us, even the apostles who knew Jesus and spent time with Jesus, they, they didn't understand it all until after he had ascended into heaven. And then it began to come clear to them what God was doing, that God was providing a way to be made righteous through Christ. Derek Kinder, in his excellent commentary on the Psalms, says, On that Palm Sunday, God's realities broke through his symbols and shadows. And if we want to have crystal clear vision of this reality, Jesus clears it up for us in John chapter 10 and verse 9 because he says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. 
verse 20 of Psalm 118. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. John 10 verse 9. Jesus says, I am the gate. And not too long after that, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So Jesus Christ is the great festal sacrifice of Psalm 118. And so if we want to enter into these gates of righteousness, then we cry out for salvation. Like the people did in Jerusalem. Like the psalmist does in Psalm 118 and verse 25. Save us, we pray. It's, it's in Aramaic, it's Hosanna. Save us, we pray. Oh Lord, oh Lord, we pray. Give us success. Success here is prosper us. Prosper us so that we will not perish. Save us. Jesus Christ is our salvation. And because of him, we can enter the kingdom. I remember being a young student at seminary and I was standing in the hallway outside a professor's office, Robert Peterson, he's a systematic theology professor, and I was in, in a line of, of seminary students, we're kind of leaning up against this block wall, each taking a turn to go into Dr. Peterson's office, each kind of dreading our turn because we were, we were reviewing our examination. Uh, I, I just wanted to get it over with though, but it seemed like it was taking forever. So I keep looking at my watch and I'm like, how long is this going to take? And, you know, just, just waiting in this line. When all of a sudden up the, up the hallway comes Robbie Peterson who is Dr. Peterson's, at that time he was Dr. Peterson's high school age son. He had a little part-time job there uh, at the seminary. And he comes up the hallway and he just kind of chugs on by all of us guys who are standing in the line at the hallway. And he hangs a left and he opens the door and he just goes in and closes it. And I thought to myself in that moment, I wish I were Robbie Peterson, or I at least wish I was Robbie Peterson's friend because he's able to just go right on in there. He didn't seem nervous at all. He didn't have to wait in a line at all. He just went right on in. He did that, of course, because he was the professor's son. So if you are with the son, you get to go in. Now, when it comes to the gates of righteousness... You must be with the Son to go in, and it's the only way to go in. This is what Jesus says in John 14. He says, I am the way. I'm the way. So in John 10, he says, I'm the gate, or I'm the door. In John 14, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, the people of Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago had the joy of seeing with their own eyes the coming Son of God, the Savior, and they rejoiced. They saw Him. They said, this is the day. This is Him. There He is. It's the day that the Lord has made. Let's rejoice. Save us, O Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were blessed to see Jesus coming. And there may very well be someone in this room who needs to experience a moment like that and find today to be the day 
that you really for the first time see Jesus as the Savior and see him as the only one who can make you righteous so you can enter into the presence of God and belong to God as his child right now today and belong to God forever, for eternity. After your body wears out and goes in the grave, you enter in and belong to God through his son, Jesus Christ. Today could be the day. And for many of us, we are full of joy this Easter week because we know we have been made righteous by our Lord Jesus Christ. We rejoice in him. Now, even if you've been a Christian for many, many years, for, for decades, I was saved when I was 17 years old, been a Christian for a long time. There's a temptation. Like we heard during the ministry time at, at the microphone. There's a temptation. I, th I think it was John who said to make, try to make a bargain with God. And forget that you don't bargain with God. That you don't, you don't knock at the door, beat open the door, or swing open the door and enter into the presence of God by just being a good person on your own. It's always about Jesus Christ and what he has done. It's always about the Savior who is the gate, who is the way, who is the truth, who is the life. He, he has shown us his steadfast love and so... We rejoice today because this is the day of salvation in Christ Jesus. And it is also the day in which God is building his church. So Jesus, he rode into Jerusalem on the donkey. And it's in every gospel account. You can read about it. You get different details in, in each one. And we get an interesting detail in the gospel of Mark. Uh, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the donkey. And he, he goes into the city. And he goes into the temple. And, and he, he, he enters with this huge celebration. It's like a citywide block party. A parade. Jesus is coming in. All the people are celebrating. And and, and then he arrives at the temple and he goes into the temple and he kind of uh, looks around for just a second. He looks at his watch. I guess he didn't have a watch, but he knew it was late. He looks around a little bit and then he just decides to leave. And he goes back out and he spends the night outside the city. It, it, it feels to me, when you read the Gospel of Mark, just a little bit anticlimactic on that first day after the triumphal entry. But I think we should very much take note of the fact that the first thing he did on that Sunday when he arrived in Jerusalem was go to the temple and look around. And the next day he goes back to the temple and he starts turning over tables and driving people out. There was something very special about Jesus and his relationship with the temple. In fact, he had said this already about it. This was in John chapter 2 and verse 19. Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. John explains for us that he was speaking about the temple of his body. Jesus was to be part of a new temple. A temple of the new covenant that God is building. 
Christ is the cornerstone of the new temple. It's also in Psalm 118 in verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone or, or the capstone. You got a footnote that probably says that or the most important stone in the structure of this new thing that God is building. The New Testament loves to quote Psalm 118. Uh, uh, there's at least a dozen uh, quotes, maybe more in the New Testament uh, from this 118th Psalm and allusions to it. We can go to just one in Acts chapter 4 that's very helpful. Peter is on trial along with the other disciples because they've been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he, he's standing before the Jewish high court. And he shares with them this verse from Psalm 18. Verse 20, this is verse 11 in Acts 4. And he's quoting verse 22 of Psalm 118. He says, this Jesus is the stone. So there's the connection. There's the clarity. The cornerstone of Psalm 118 is Jesus. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. The builders who rejected Jesus were the religious leaders of, of, of the people of Israel during Jesus' day and, and the Romans. This stone was rejected by you. They had rejected the Lord, but it has become the cornerstone. So Peter here gives us Total clarity in understanding Psalm 1822, but he also gives us this wonderful name for our beloved church right here in Knoxville, Tennessee, Cornerstone Church. Jesus is the cornerstone. And the apostle continues in Acts 4, he says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the cornerstone of a new temple, the church. And that church is growing. And we have the privilege of participating in what the Lord is doing in growing his church. We, we share the good news of the gospel with the world. Jake, Jake told us the reason, you know, an Easter egg could be, fun, could be fun, I suppose. But the primary reason we're doing that is because we would love to connect people with this church because we want to connect them with Jesus Christ. So it's a wonderful opportunity. If you were at, at family night last, members family night last weekend, then uh, Jake Cronin had these cups from the Go team that, that he was giving out. And you can take the coffee cup. It's got some little things in it. You can give it to your neighbor and invite them to church. And maybe if you do that, you can tell them about Jesus. Or maybe they'll just come here and hear about Jesus here. Inviting people to church is a great way to reach out to them with the love of Jesus Christ. We should be busy sharing Christ. Psalm 118 verse 26, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We know that's talking about Jesus. The, the, the people sang it when Jesus came. But then Jesus tells his disciples before his ascension into heaven, he says, as the Father has sent me, I came in the name of the Lord, so I am sending you, so you go in the name of the Lord. So we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But make no mistake... As we do this, it is God who is building his church. And this is very good news. Psalm 118, verse 22 again. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So Christ has come and the church is being built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Verse 23. 
This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord is building his church. He's building it up. Verse 27 of Psalm 118. The Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. God has sent Jesus Christ to be the light of the world. And the light of Christ shines brightly in a dark world. Yes, we have our responsibility to share the gospel and it's a joy to do it. But it is God who is building up his church. And that is very good news. The story is told of a man who was answering questions on a national survey. And when he was asked for his church preference, he responded, Red brick. Which reminded me of those, you remember the old TV commercials that said real houses are made of brick? You know, a brick church is nice. Now, I suppose that we are going to disagree with this man. And we might be tempted to say that real churches are made of white brick. Because we've got this beautiful white brick building. But the problem with that would be that while it may be true that church buildings are built of brick sometimes, the church of Jesus Christ itself is made of souls. All those souls who look to Jesus Christ and shout, Save us, O Lord. Save us. We pray, give us salvation. People who cry out to Jesus like that. People who say, Open to me, Lord, the gate of righteousness that I may enter through it. Those are the members of the Lord's church. Those who trust in him. God hears the cry of sinners and he saves them when they place their faith in Jesus Christ. He builds his church. Now, this is good news for us. We live in a time that some people would be tempted to say is kind of a dark time. The world can seem very wicked. There's many problems in our culture. Many churches struggle. If you look at the news, read the media, it can get kind of really depressing really fast. And some of us may be tempted to discouragement. So it's good for us to remember this morning... The words of our Savior Jesus who said to his disciples, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. He is, he is building his church. The Lord is doing it. It is marvelous. He is building it upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. This is a great encouragement. It's an encouragement to me as a pastor and I'm sure the other, other pastors, and it ought to be an encouragement to every one of you that God's kingdom is advancing, built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. We rejoice in the steadfast love of the Lord because this is the day of salvation in Christ and because this is the day in which he is building his church. And finally, this is the day we worship with thanksgiving. We celebrate the Lord for his gift of salvation. Again, this, this is a holiday song, Psalm 118, and it is full of thanksgiving. Verse 19, give thanks to God. Verse 21, I thank you. Verse 
24, rejoice and be glad, verse 25, we pray, we pray, verse 28, you are my God and I will give thanks to you, you are my God, I will extol you, verse 29, oh give thanks to the Lord. So we, we join one another in celebration. Now you'll notice sometimes it's singular, I thank you, like in, in, in verse uh, verse 21, and sometimes it's plural. We, we rejoice, like in verse 24. You get the idea that this is almost like a responsive reading in worship. These people are worshiping the Lord. So they're singing this joyful song, but it is a song of worship. There's an interesting textual thing going on in the Hebrew language of Psalm 118 and verse 27. Now don't, don't zone out. I think this is interesting. Stay, stay with me. So interesting textual thing going on here because at, at the end in the second verse of, or the second sentence of verse 27, it could be translated like this. This is what the NIV does. It says, the Lord is God. He's made his light shine on us with bowels in hand. Join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. Okay, I like the ESV better, but I just think it's interesting. The NIV translators, these are Bible scholars, they have noted that the word which we translate chords in the ESV could be translated branches. Now, remember, when Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem, the people are singing this, this song as he comes in. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they are also waving branches and laying them out for Jesus to ride over. Now these branches, they probably weren't palm branches. Sorry about that. And I used to know what kind of tree they were, but I don't. Bill likes trees. You can ask Bill. He might be able to tell you later what the branch was. But they had these branches and, and the branch was just part of their holiday celebration. Because they were gathered together to worship the Lord. And as they worshiped the Lord over this Passover feast, then they had the joy. And I, I don't know how many of them fully understood it. Some did and some didn't. But they had the joy of seeing one of the greatest events in the entire history of the universe. When indeed the Savior rode into Jerusalem. And when they sang this song and waved their branches like they often did and always did in festal procession. This time... They really were beholding the Savior of the world. And they were worshiping. So we, we worship. We cry out to God in prayer and praise together. We do it every time we have our meeting. We give thanks to God. We extol Him and we worship Him. Now understand, we're not mainly just entertaining, although I'm sometimes very moved by, by the songs that we sing. They're very powerful and, and, and they just really build my faith. And we're not just educating, although sometimes the words of these, these songs we sing are so instructive. And we're not merely just reaching out to uh, people. Although, as we've said, we want to invite people. And it would be wonderful if our church was like Paul's vision for the church in 1 Corinthians 14. That people would walk in and see us worshiping and say to themselves, it's like God is really here. These people really believe this stuff. But understand, our main goal in worship 
It's not just to have some experience. It's not just to learn things. It's not just to reach out, but to reach up to our almighty God. We are worshiping God when we get together for our meetings. Jennifer and I grew up in a church. It was very quiet. It was very different than, than this one. And uh, it, it was good. We, our faith grew, although we're very happy here at Cornerstone. But I remember one Sunday when we were a young married couple that the service ended. The pastor did the benediction, and there was this kind of quiet rustling while everybody was grabbing up their, their things. And yet there was one old man in the back of the church. He was on the back row. His name was Mr. Bird. He was about 90, and he loved church. And, and after the benediction, everybody's picking up their things, but he just keeps on worshiping. He's got his eyes closed and his hands are spread out. And he says, glory, glory, hallelujah. And this kind of hush fell over the room. And we were all quiet for a moment. Then he put his hands down and opened his eyes. That guy was worshiping. See, he knew that he was soon to see his Savior. Like those people on the first Palm Sunday saw him. And he worshiped. So we have many things to be thankful for, so many reasons to rejoice before the Lord. But the greatest reason is that our Lord Jesus came into this world. He rode into the city of Jerusalem to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love and mercy. Thank you for sending the Savior. Lord, we do rejoice today. We, we have beheld the coming of the Savior, Jesus Christ, and we are grateful, Lord. I pray that as we go into this week leading up to Easter, we would be very much aware of the goodness of the Lord, that it would encourage us in our walk with you, that it would inspire us to share the message about Jesus with others, and that it would build our confidence because we know that you, Lord, Build your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865 694 4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.